Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out Swiss and European fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Janine, and Janine is the CEO of Roger Federer Foundation based in Zurich. And we're going to talk about how foundations have changed over the last few years and about their focus on efficiency and also the leveraging of technology and, of course, what they're doing to help the affected communities with the current health crisis. Hello, welcome, Janine. How are you today? Well, thank you, Rudy, for having me. I'm doing very well. Great to hear. So can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how did you get to do what you do today? I think that may be a dream job for a lot of people in finance or maybe even a lot of uh, tennis fans. So how did you get to do what you do today? <laughs> yeah, that that might be the case, but I, I must admit I don't play tennis uh, and I'm, I'm not a banker and coming from the financial sector neither. So my uh, background is actually purely humanitarian. Um, I'm a human rights lawyer uh, in the past, and then I switched to the diplomatic service uh, for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Switzerland, focusing on humanitarian interventions such as human rights, such as uh, conflict transformation. I did a very short mission with uh, a global bank where I was a head of philanthropy for Switzerland and disaster relief. So having that background of working in different sectors, in the private sector, in the public sector, was uh, preparing me very well for for that uh, position as a CEO of the Roger Federer Foundation, where I am now for the last 10 years. All right. Well, great. So you're the CEO of Roger Federer's Foundation, as you just said. It's a very well-known foundation, obviously, but can you explain what's the mission and uh, what are you really trying to achieve? So the mission is, uh, as missions normally are, very broad. Uh, Roger wanted really to improve life of children living in poverty. It was clear at the very early stage that uh, the foundation will focus more on Africa and Switzerland. And it came only with the years, so the foundation is now uh, 16 years old, it came with the years that focus also will be more and more on education. Why? Because the the most powerful theory of change for exiting from poverty, becoming healthier in your life, being more engaged as a citizen is, of course, education. And even there, we have narrowed down our focus and approach because the more focused you are, the more efficient and effective you, you get is early childhood education. So currently we are running seven school readiness initiatives uh, in six southern African countries in Switzerland, where we really want to prepare children better for a good start into primary school. 
I noticed that in recent years, the the views on the NGO performance or third third sector performance have changed, and uh, there's been more and more demand from the people who fund the foundations, the charities, the public, and the stakeholders to be more transparent, to show the stats on performance in terms of how many people do you reach, how many people do you help, but also on your expenses and how do you leverage technology. So it, I think the foundations are running more and more efficiently last few years. What, what's your view on that? Yes, and I'm very happy about that uh, trend. And actually, the trend already started many, many years or even decades ago. Philanthropy is, is not doing a little bit of good, a little bit of charity anymore. It is a professional business. We are doing social investments. And we are calculating through that as any other business as well. It's a very entrepreneurial approach. We invest in the most relevant interventions, in the most cost-effective interventions. We try to find out what approaches bring us in a sustainable manner to the highest leverage of impact. So our social, our return on investment is social. It's not financial. That's the only difference compared to business uh, in the financial industry. But otherwise, we question our approaches every time. We do external evaluations uh, in order to, to really question our performance. And I'm personally uh, very, very happy that this is now acknowledged from outside more and more that it's not important how much money we raise or it's not important how much money we spend, but it's all about the performance. What kind of change, what kind of positive change can we bring to the children? What, in our case of the foundation, what is the increase of performance of children in grade one? How many less children are dropping out of school? How much better is the teacher performing now because we invested in capacity building? And especially when we come, when we speak now about educational programs, it really now turns out that interventions which you thought might be impactful turn out to be not really that impactful as you think. So building a new school, for example, with half a million dollars has almost no impact on the performance of children because now evaluations have shown the, the point of leverage of your performance is actually the teacher. So you should invest rather in the teacher than in the infrastructure. But this is just one example out of it. Well, you're obviously active in Africa. We talked about that. I mean, how are you organized? Where are you uh, between Switzerland and Africa? And uh, also, I assume you're a flat organization and you don't have 15 layers of management, right? <laughs> yes, of course, because cost efficiency is very important. We, we try to have our overhead below 10%. Normally it's at seven. So last year was at 7.2% our overhead. We come from a corner as a grant making foundation. So historically we, we have bought in good proven projects. Now we changed and we became opera, operational more and more because when you want to be innovative in what you're doing, then you won't find these already predefined projects on the market. 
So we had to develop our own project. And uh, why is that so important? Because we use as a leverage technology now. The classical approach of doing capacity building of teachers was organizing trainings. But the problem of this classic traditional approach is the teachers are uh, limited uh, in terms of time, in terms of space, it's, it's, uh, it's very costly. And uh, once the teacher was trained, he might rotate to another school. So you lose again that capacity in your targeted school. So that brought us uh, to the remote and blended learning approach that we uh, have organized ourselves in uh, apps where uh, we have uh, distance learning, where we have remote learning on via offline tablets because we are in very rural areas in Africa where uh, internet is not an option yet. So we, we have a course developed uh, with 20 modules where teacher on one side from the tablet can learn remotely with uh, a lot of video-based material. But on the other side, because it's blended learning, they are coming together with other teachers physically in learning groups. And so we developed and established a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring approach. This on the one side. And the tablet, of course, had opened up a lot of other opportunities that you can provide other learning materials. For example, a manual, how to work with teachers, uh, sorry, with parents, or a guide how to produce learning materials uh, yourself as a teacher. Or uh, now what is highly innovative uh, at the moment on the market is we digitalized continuous child development monitoring tools of the governments in order to see whether children are developmentally on track. Normally in the countries we work, um, these assessments are heavily paper-based and you must imagine we are in environments where there is no copy machine available, where there is no paper available. So with the result that these assessments were just not done in the past, or we are in uh, countries where these assessments have even not yet been applied. And with this digitalized approach, we can help the teacher to, to make assessments on a continuous basis in a highly efficient manner. But also they understand now much better where each individual child in a class of 50, 60 or even 100 children stands. So that helps again to, to, to have a better teacher. You talked a lot about delivery of your programs, right? Uh, by leveraging the technology. When I talked to some of the founders in Switzerland about, for instance, payments and sending money to abroad to emerging markets, things like that. So are you seeing any improvements on that front as well when it you know when it comes to maybe disbursements of your grants or things like this do you see fintech helping you in some way or or not yet well 
we, we must maybe see on different levels. Um, we never had any uh, problem, you know, to send our financial support to our local partner organizations on the ground who are implementing then on the last mile. But where we see still room for improvement is really on the community level. Because in order to achieve sustainability in all actions you take, let's say in a very rural kindergarten, you need to create income for these local kindergartens in order to have funds available for future investments or also for salaries for, for, for these uh, teachers who are not yet on the payroll of a government. So what we created is somehow known as village banking, where we granted an, a starting capital to the committees of this kindergarten. It's, it's 300 to 500 US dollars. And they lend it then out under their own rules. Normally, it's 10%, 50% interest rate to the teachers, which is, of course, uh, incentive for these teachers to start little businesses. Or if, if all teachers are covered, then other committee members can have access to, to this little credit. So at the beginning, we thought, well, why, why don't why we have now to start that kind of microfinance? Because we are an educational stakeholder and, and, and not a, a microfinance stakeholder. But it turned out that the classical microfinance industry is too much laying on administrative regulations, working through the formal banking system which makes it much, much more expensive. So when you have classic microfinance, normally you have interest of 30, even 40% interest rate, which is, of course, much higher. With our very, very low system of village banking, we, we can work with a high return on investment with a 10% interest rate. So I feel that there is still room for the financial industry to work more innovative to really reach the last mile. Roger Federer and his wife Mirka donated $1 million for the vulnerable people in Switzerland impacted by the COVID-19 crisis quite early on, right? And uh, now the foundation announced another million dollars to be spent for kids in Africa who cannot go to school because of the pandemic. So can you tell us a little bit about more where the money is going to go? How is it going to be done? to help the kids in Africa uh, right now? Yes, uh, for us, we, and, and especially for Roger and Mirka, they felt at a very early stage that they have to be uh, somehow also a role model. Because when, when the whole pandemic started in, in, in Switzerland, everybody was absorbed to organize his own life first before being able to think about others. And then we had also to wait, how will be the reaction of the government to help? And it was clear then shortly after that the thinking of the whole aid package is a very classical commercial one. So people who are in the normal economic system in Switzerland could get help. But there are many people in Switzerland with 8% official poverty rate, with people working poor, working poor families, which are also in the informal sector, who have no access to this kind of, uh, of support. 
And this is where we then approached our long-term partner, WinterAid, Winterhilfe, to create that emergency fund for families, which uh, by now we, we could help. The, I think we are at 4,000 families, so 4,000 people now. And interestingly enough, to sharpen the sensitivity a little bit was we did a mapping study first, a very short-term mapping study to see where are the needs highest in, uh, for these families. And it turned out that it is about vouchers for food. And here I just underline and stress the fact we are talking about Switzerland. So still now, I think about 70% of all the support going out of that fund are food vouchers. On the other hand, we have the situation in Africa, which turns out to be a much more economic crisis than actually a health crisis due to the fact that these countries have closed down and went into a lockdown at the very early stage. For example, Malawi had even not one, one case of, of COVID-19, but still the border were already closed and also the schools. But you have to imagine to, be, to have a lockdown in Europe or to have a lockdown in Africa is completely different. People there, they don't have reserves at home. 60% in South Africa are working in an informal sector. So they are depending on leaving the house in the morning, getting a job done, getting the cash in your pocket to afterwards go and buy your food for, for the dinner. So these uh, nations are struggling heavily with the kind of lockdown. And on the other hand, the children who have, as a very positive factor of development, access to school meals were cut down from uh, the school meals. And this was for us then clear. We had to fill the gap by starting additional intervention in providing nutritious meals to these children and to their families in times where schools are closed. And well, talking about the lockdown, how was it in Switzerland or how is it in Switzerland for you? Uh, were your operations impacted by, by the lockdown? The Roger Federer Foundation as an organization was actually not impacted at all the, with the lockdown because we, we have anyhow a team who is working remotely we have a paperless uh, administration and uh, you know we have an office with a team in Johannesburg and one office with a team in, in Zurich so we are used to work with all the digital options you, you are having. Nevertheless for us it is now a very busy phase because we have to see and work around the challenging conditions in the countries of our programs. How do we get connected now to the teachers while schools are closed in order to continue our programs? It was very important for our local partner organizations on the ground that they knew that we are with them, that we stick to our financial commitments, even though we might have certain delays in the program. It was important to be available for these organizations as mentors, as coaches, how to manage this situation in, in their countries. For example, we had to provide also technology to our partners so that they were able to 
to to work in a in a remote manner and it's all about innovation in such uh, moments of crisis and and here we we have an intensive exchange with our local partners to really see what is feasible what is possible how can we change slightly our approach in in order to still have the same impact on the ground as planned all right understood so what is the difference between charity and philanthropy? Some people use this interchangeably, and of course, it's very, very different, right? Uh, there are also people who are doing this professionally, and they say, well, you know, there's too many small charities, everyone who thinks that they have a certain impact in terms of, you know, social popularity, social impact and popularity, they want to have a charity, and maybe it doesn't make sense, it makes more sense to pull it and uh, impact at the philanthropy level. On the other hand, maybe the truth is that for every cause, there there is a different solution. So, so why not all of this can coexist? So what's your view on this? Yes, I think uh, there are many different approaches which can coexist. Nevertheless, all what should lead us is impact. And here we we should critically rethink, are we using that money the best we can, the most impactful we can? And sometimes I, I have the feeling Africa doesn't need more money, for example, uh, in, in philanthropy, but better invested money. Because people sometimes just feel well, if I invest my my money in 1,000 books for the school, I have done a good job. But that is the job is not finished by delivering these books. Uh, we need to question, are these books now really used in the classroom by the teachers? Have the books really the content which is enabling the children to afterwards having a better understanding. So if you deliver, for example, 1,000 English books, but in the schools you are nobody speaks English, then your books, even though you have as planned and as cost-efficient delivered the books, they will not have any impact. So even in small interventions, even in non-professional interventions, you should always question your action. If you do good, you need to do it right. And maybe the whole professionalization of the sector helps also to learn from the lessons others have, have learned and not just follow your own feelings. It's, it's, I, I compare it sometimes a little bit as uh, football. Everybody is an expert in football, but that doesn't say that everybody can become a good coach. Exactly. What are the next steps for you this year and beyond? You know, obviously, for some people, situation is a bit unpredictable. But if you have certain milestones in mind, uh, what are you trying to achieve after after this? Well, for us, actually, we, we don't see it as uh, that big interruption of our normal planned uh, schedule. Because, you know, working in Africa, you always have challenges you have to face, be it uh, a cyclone or be it a starving period or being a political crisis. So we are quite used to, to handle and face the unplanned external factors in our program. So we will work around it, 
But this intense exchange with our local partners on the ground had also really good um, an advantage to being even closer to our partners and, and to that what happens on, on the ground. So And, and we are in a, in a long-term planning uh, mode anyhow. So I'm, I'm sure we're going to catch up what, what we might have lost now. But my concerns are more in the long term for Africa. I really fear that this uh, economic crisis uh, for Europe and uh, the Western Hemisphere will have a tremendous uh, negative impact on Africa. So it's the most vulnerable will, which will suffer at the end most of this uh, pandemic. Uh, we'll see. I mean, hopefully, hopefully not, right? But uh, you have experience in the region and in the sector, so obviously it's it's a serious concern. And that's why I also would like to ask if there are people that would like to help you. Where can they reach you, and what can they do to help with your mission? I think it's uh, very important that in this moment of of isolation and and challenges in in our own lives, normal lives, it's important that you stay attentive to what is happening on a global perspective. And and therefore, please continue to show your solidarity to organizations who do uh, non-profit humanitarian interventions in the field, such as we do. And if you would like to have more information about our our engagement, then uh, you can find everything in a very transparent manner on our website. Well, thank you, Janine, and good luck to Roger Federer Foundation and uh, to yourself and everyone out there doing the great work that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy, and stay healthy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.